Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast number three. I'm Don Britton and I'll be your host. Last week I talked to you about how the church is full of sin. I gave many reasons and uh, examples, some of which I've seen with my own eyes and other uh, you know, references to research that's been done, like with the Barna Group and with Kingdom Series and so forth. This week, I want to go over some of the causes of why the church is full of sin. The first thing I want to bring up is that one of the main reasons the church is full of sin is because most people in, America, in the American church today are not really born again. Now, that may seem like a shock to you, but they're really not. According to the research that's done and the things that I revealed even last week, they couldn't be born again. Here's what the scripture says in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin because God's seed, that is, his principle of life, the essence of his righteous character remains permanently in him who is born again, who is reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose. And he who is born again cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin because he's born of God and, and longs to please God. By this, the children of the devil and the children of God are clearly identified. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, who does not seek God's will in thought, action, and purpose is not of God. Nor is the one who does not unselfishly love his believing brother. This is from the Amplified Bible. So there you, are, there you have the picture of born again. Somebody who does not practice sin who does not live in sin, but who lives to please God, whose life is spiritually transformed, whose life is renewed, whose life is set apart for God's purpose. That's what born again is all about. That's not what we have today in the American Christian church. So here's another reason that the church is full of sin. It's because it's full of lost people, people that are practicing sin. The statistics prove this. Most everybody in the church, as, uh, uh, let me say it this way, the church itself as a whole is no different than the rest of the world. If you listened to last week's podcast, you would have heard me refer to the research done by the Barna Group concerning the American church and the fact that the church is virtually practicing every sin that the world is involved in, including divorce at the exact same rate of divorce in the church as it is with the people that are non-Christian. The fact that adultery is just as rampant in the church as it is in the world. Fornication, just as rampant. Homosexuality, dishonesty, gossip, greed, unforgiveness, angry tempers, jealousy, pride, and anything you want to name is really no different among American Christians than it is among the secular world. In fact, the, the world has its own set of, of idols. The world... It loves materialism, it loves money, it loves pride, it loves career, it loves it loves uh, all kinds of entertainment. Hollywood has gotten rich off of what the world loves to see. 
But the church looks at the same stuff. The church enjoys the same kind of entertainment. The church idolizes over the sports games and over the, the movies and over the music that the world produces with the, with the raunchiest people you can imagine. And the, works, worlds, uh, the church is involved in the same thing the world is up to its eyeballs, including pornography. In fact, if you'd listened to last week's podcast, you would have heard me also refer to the research done by the Kingdom Work Studios concerning pornography in the church. 68% of church-going men and 33% of church-going women search for porn on a regular basis. But here's the most shocking thing in that research. Over 50% of American Christian pastors view porn on a regular basis. Now, if our pastors are involved in porn, why not the members? If our pastors are not walking with God, why should the members walk with God? If our pastors are lost, why wouldn't the members be lost? Jesus said if the blind lead the blind, they all go to the pit. Other research that's been done has also revealed that only 2% of American Christians have a serious prayer life and actually study the scriptures for themselves. This is the state of the American church. So back to the first reason I said that the church is full of sin. It's because it's full of sinners, people practicing sin. People that attend church and somehow believe, believe that they're saved, somehow believe they're going to be saved. So here we have an American church that is filled with lost people who think they're saved. So no wonder the church is full of sin, right? Lost people practice sin. That's what they do. They, they, they actually do the deeds of their father, who is Satan. They, they, do, they do what comes natural to them, which is to sin. It's natural for them to lie. It's natural for them to play games with people. It's natural for them to pretend that they love God. It's natural for them to play church. It's natural for them to sneak around and commit adultery and to watch pornography. It's just natural for single people to have sex outside of marriage. That's, what na that's what's natural for them. It's just natural. It's just natural for people to gossip. It's just natural for people to lie, cheat, and steal. To do anything they can to, to, to satisfy themselves, that's what is natural. That's what sinners do. That's what the church does. That's what the American church does. That's what we have in America today is a church full of people doing the same thing the world does. It all comes natural to them. And by the way, there is no difference in the so-called spirit-filled churches. They do the same things. You know, it's, it's nice to claim you're spirit-filled, but the Spirit of God does not lead people to practice sin. There's no more holiness in the charismatic and Pentecostal churches than there are in any other denominations. In fact, one of the alarming statistics that I came across last week, what I shared with you last week on the previous podcast, was this. The divorce rate in the Pentecostal denomination is the highest of all the denominations, at 44%. The lowest divorce rate among all the denominations is with the Presbyterians at only 28%. The Presbyterians are not claiming to be spirit-filled particularly, like the Pentecostals are. So you tell me, why is the highest divorce rate among those who claim to be spirit-filled? There's something missing here. Don't you think there's something missing? You know, surely the Holy Spirit is not leading these people, these numbers of people, to get divorced. Is he? Surely not. So now we have established the fact that American churches are full of sin. Okay. Full of sinners, which means full of lost people. So the next question is, why is it this way? 
It's clearly understood that almost everyone who attends church today in America would call themselves a Christian, right? I mean, you could take a survey, you could go down on the streets, everybody that goes to church, you could stand in front of the church building, everybody's walking in on Sunday all across America, and you could ask them this, are you a Christian? And virtually everyone, for the most part, you might find one here and there, but about everybody would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And if they say they're a Christian, then the next question you may ask them, and do you believe you're going to heaven? And they would say, yes. So that's the state we're in. Yet we're a church full of sin. We're a church that's practicing the same idolatry and the same wickedness as the world. We here in America, as a Christian nation, we call ourselves a Christian nation, we are no different than anybody else outside the church. So why are we this way? How did we get like this? If they're truly not born again while thinking they're saved, the American Christian, the typical American Christian. Now, I want to say this. I know there are always a few. God has his remnant. There's always a few people that maybe go to church that are grieved about what's going on, that don't know what else to do but go to church. But they love God, and they, they, they're on their knees praying, and they're calling on the Lord for direction, and they're, they're asking the, the Lord, you know, what he wants them to do, and they're, they're troubled by what they see and hear. But they don't have an answer maybe yet. And there's always a few that belong to God. His people are scattered out throughout the world and throughout the, quote, religious world. But they're very few in number. But the problem is that the vast majority of these people that go to church on Sunday or Saturday, if they go Saturday, we would have to consider them to be a false convert. They've been falsely converted. So they're really not true converts. They're falsely led to believe that they were born again. And that's why they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm going to heaven. That's why they would say that. While the vast majority of them live just like the world. I remember one time in business, I had a business associate back when I used to build race cars as a, as a technician in my early days in business. I was building a race car for this guy. And he was the most worldly, most carnal guy. He was, uh, he was womanizing he was into all kinds of sin and deceit. And then I found out he was the song leader at a particular church, a local church. I did, and I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I thought, this is crazy. But things like this are really not that uncommon. There are people that go to church every Sunday. They, they participate in the worship service. They participate in serving at the church. They do good deeds for the church. And yet, in their secret personal life, they live a life of sin. It happens all the time. It happens a lot with pastors. So these people that think they're saved, but they're falsely converted, that means they're really not born again, right? They're really not born again, or they, or they would be different. They would have been transformed. They would have been changed. They wouldn't be like they are. Here's what it means to be born again. It means you've had a radical transformation of your life. I'm not talking about taking somebody that was was a drunk and getting putting a three-piece suit on him, putting a Bible in his hand, taking him to church and get him to stop drinking. That doesn't mean he's born again. That just means he stopped drinking. People do stop doing things. People quit drinking. They quit smoking. They quit some things sometimes, some bad habits and so forth for various reasons. Sometimes they do it for religious reasons. Sometimes they do it for health reasons. And sometimes they do it for personal reasons. That doesn't mean you're born again. But to be born again is to have a radical transformation of your life. Sudden changes that come from the inside of the person and manifest outwardly. It means to lay aside every known sin in your life. It means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means to have a desire to seek God, to know God, to know his will and to obey and please God. 
That's what it means to be born again. And also, this happened to me in addition to those things. It means to have a nagging interest in the Word of God. In other words, what does he say in the Scriptures? What is written in there? What is, how does that apply to my life? How do, how do I be a loving husband? How can I be the right kind of businessman? How can I be a good neighbor? What does God want with me? What is my purpose? Why am I here to have that nagging interest in the Scriptures, to want to know what God wants? That is what it is to be born again. And also to be willing to lose family and friends, if necessary, to, for standing up for doing what's right. To be willing even to question your church, your pastor, your denomination, what it's doing, why it's doing it. Where's that in the Word? What is it? What, what are we doing this for? And then are you willing to be, to be also be, to be born again is to be willing to be persecuted because you desire to live a godly life? When other people think you're over the top, they think you're a fanatic, they think you're going too far, they think you're too goody-two-shoes or whatever, but you're not going to practice what they do. Are you willing, you know, when you're born again, you're willing, you're willing to be persecuted for those things. And you're willing, you know, to go even against everything you've been taught by your church or by your parents or by whoever. If it's wrong, you're willing, when you're born again, to take up your cross and to deny yourself and to deny yourself of anything and everything that is contrary to God. This is what it's like to be born again, to be a new creation, to have a transformed life. So false converts then don't have this or the church wouldn't be in the state that it's in now. The church wouldn't be full of sin. The church wouldn't be just like the world. If the church was full of true converts, I realized the church could have mostly true converts and have a few false converts, but the church then would have power. The church has no power today. It's just like the world. It's just another big business. It's another big business enterprise. To be a false convert means that you were saved, quote unquote saved, falsely, with a false method of salvation. So if you're going to be a false convert, you had to have been saved through a false method. Okay, what would be a false method? The most common false method used today is what's called the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is another reason the church is so full of sin because it does not cause one to be born again. A change of heart causes one to be born again, but not a sinner's prayer. In fact, if you do a little research, again, we have to study the scripture. All scripture is inspired by God is profitable for teaching, for correction, for instruction, for training in righteousness. That's what the scriptures do. If you want to know something, you want to know what you should do or how you should do it, go to the scriptures. No one in the history of the Bible ever prayed a sinner's prayer to be saved. No one. No one in the history of the Bible was ever told to pray a sinner's prayer to be saved. No one in the history of the Bible was ever told to repeat a certain number of words or a certain phrase in order to be saved. This is what's in all of our 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 pamphlets that we hand out now, tracts that we hand out that you know that we when I say we I mean we as a country, we as a church. I don't hand them out personally, but what I mean is that's what you see. Repeat these words and then you're born again. Say these words and you're saved. Ask Jesus in your heart and you're saved. That is just not true. That's not biblical. That's not, that's not even sensible. In the Bible, everyone was told to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Everyone was told it would cost them their life. 
their old life to have Jesus. They can't have have it both ways. You can't keep living your old selfish, sinful, worldly life and have Jesus. You can't do that. Jesus made that clear. All the prophets made that clear. All the apostles made that clear. Everyone in the Bible was told that they would never have heaven without holiness. Everyone was told to love God with all their heart. To love God above all else. To love God more than son or daughter. To love God more than mother or father. To love God more than your religion, your denomination, your doctrine, or whatever you've trusted in. To love God more than your idols, your sports, your games, your pleasures, your pornography, your sin. Love God more than all else. That's what the Bible said. That's what everyone in the Bible was told to do in order to be saved. Now, honestly... The sinner's prayer, praying the sinner's prayer does not, does not accomplish any of those required changes. It takes a heart change, not a mind change, but a heart change. Like repentance of sin, for example, from the heart, wholehearted commitments to God from the heart, or giving up one's life totally to the Lord from the heart, not just attending church. So many people have been deceived into thinking if they pray the sinner's prayer, and start us attending church, they're good with God. But that's a lie. That's not what the scriptures told us at all. That's not what God told us at all. That's not what any of the apostles said to the church at all. And that's certainly not what Jesus said when he came preaching the kingdom of God. So the sinner's prayer has been around not very long. You may not realize this. Just a little over a hundred years old since it was started. It was started by a guy named Billy Sunday in the early 1900s. He started out using a method, started out shaking people's hands and telling them they were born again if they came up and shook his hand. And from there, uh, Billy Sunday would had a little printed card that he would send with the, the so-called convert to their pastor. And the pastor then was supposed to follow up with the convert to disciple him. But that little printed card had a little statement on it. And that little statement was later turned into a, quote, sinner's prayer. And so that sinner's prayer became a new method used by some preachers after Billy Sunday for a while during the early 1900s. And it became more and more popular. And because it shortened the time that preachers would have to spend trying to bring somebody to repentance. And so it was kind of a quick, easy method to get them, quote, unquote, saved and save the preacher a lot of work and a lot of time. Well, by the 1950s, Billy Graham took the same thing, the sinner's prayer, and began using it in his crusades in the meetings when they would take people back to the rooms to be converted. They would have them pray a sinner's prayer and then tell them they were born again. And later, then Billy Graham even perfected it even more by actually praying the sinner's prayer to the whole mass of people who would come forward to save a lot of time. He would just pray it for them and have them to acknowledge it. And as after all that happened in the 50s and in the 60s, then other ministers took up this, this plan of using the sinner's prayer. And so then it was later then printed on pamphlets and printed on flyers and printed on, you know, tracks that were handed out. And it became the normal standard then. And so that's what we have today is we have uh, a progression uh, all the way from Billy Sunday through Billy Graham, and then now we've got it where everybody, everywhere, prays the sinner's prayer or has somebody pray the sinner's prayer when they come to the Lord, and so it's just the standard that's being used. As a result, we have a church world today where everybody 
today has been one who's prayed the sinner's prayer. But most of most all of those who prayed the sinner's prayer have not been born again. They've not been transformed into a new creation. And if somebody did pray the sinner's prayer and had their heart given to God in the process, they may have truly been born again, but it wasn't because of the sinner's prayer. It would have been because they gave their heart to God. It would have been because they gave their life up to God. It would have been because they, they heard the message to come to God and they came and somebody had them pray the sinner's prayer. So if they got saved, they got saved in spite of the sinner's prayer, not because of the sinner's prayer. So the sinner's prayer is actually a cause for many false conversions. And the result of this is that many in the past have ended up in hell forever. And many more will also be lost forever if they don't come to the Lord now before it's too late with all their hearts and repent of their sins, repent of their man-made religion and repent of their false hope in a prayer that was never instituted by God to start with. I want to identify another reason as a cause of the American church being full of sin, the reason being the teaching of false grace. False grace. The modern church now teaches, we call it, sometimes we call it, I call it a hyper grace. It is, it's such a, a extreme grace that it gives its members a license to sin. It gives its members the freedom to do whatever they want and still go to heaven. This false grace that's promoted today actually tells people that all their sins from the past are forgiven. All their sins they're practicing now today are also forgiven. And all their sins in the future are already forgiven. And this, this hyper grace, this false grace, doesn't deal with repentance. It doesn't deal with one carrying their cross. It doesn't, it doesn't, do anything, it doesn't require anything of the person other than having a mental acceptance of Christ. This false grace then leaves out repentance of sin. It leaves out one's own personal cross. It leaves out one's own requirement of self-denial that Jesus made very plain. It leaves, one, it leaves out one's own giving up of one's life that Jesus said must take place in order to see life. It, it leaves out also, this false grace also leaves out one's own walk of suffering with Christ, being identified with the sufferings of Christ. It's, it leaves out one's own difficult, narrow path that leads through a small gate that Jesus described very well. And the Greek word for that small gate and that narrow way are the way of tribulation, the way of difficulty, the way of pain, the way of rejection, the way of persecution, and all the things which are associated with following Jesus. You see, this false grace leaves all of that out, which actually leaves out the truth, which actually leaves out the requirement to have life, which actually leaves out the requirements to be born again. This false grace that I'm talking about, there is no such kind of grace in the Bible. Jesus said that if, we're, if, we're gonna, if, if they've hated him, Jesus said, if they've hated me, they will hate you also. Jesus said that the, your own enemies would be the members of your own household, that your enemies would be the members of your own household. He said he came to put a sword between you and your family. Because what he means is, if you're going to serve me, your family is going to hate you. And there's going to be division there. Because you can't be buddies with your, with your bad uncles and your, and, and your wicked children. And you can't, you, can't, you can't love them and love me the same way. You can't... You can't Treat them the same way as you would when you were in the world. There will be division, and they're going to turn against you. They're going to hate you because of me. 
So Jesus said that you must take up your cross and deny yourself if you're going to follow Jesus. Jesus said that if you don't give up your life, you would not see life. All of these statements and countless more like them, these are the grace of God. This is the grace of God. Now in Jude, he warned us about what's going to happen in the last days. Let me read to you Jude 1 verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. See, the subject is salvation. I was compelled to write to you urgently, appealing you fight strenuously for the defense of the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints, the faith that is the sum of Christian belief that was given verbally to believers. Far, verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, just as if they were sneaking in by a side door. They are ungodly persons whose condemnation was predicted long ago. For they distort the grace of our God into decadence and immoral freedom, viewing it as an opportunity to do whatever they want and deny and disown our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, he said in verse 5, although you fully... Although, <clears throat> I now I want to remind you, although you are fully informed once for all that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, those who refused to trust, obey, and rely on Him. Amplified Bible. Did you notice that the warning about how certain persons have crept in unnoticed, who distort grace into decadence and immoral freedom, viewing it as an opportunity to do what they want? Did you notice that? Did you notice that that's what's going on today? Who has noticed today? There's lots of men teaching this. It's on all the TV channels. It's on all the, it's on, it's written. There's many books written about this. Virtually every denomination is holding on to this kind of false grace today. Almost every preacher is preaching this false grace today. And yet nobody seems to notice. They've just crept in unnoticed and they turned the grace of God into a license to sin. Did you also see the warning that God gave again after having saved his people out of the land of Egypt that he ended up later destroying those who turned away from him? That's a warning for us. That's a warning for the church. So you can come to the Lord. You can, you can hear the message. You can turn to God. And then later get to thinking you could live like you want, do what you want, and still go to heaven and end up being destroyed. That's the warning here. That's how false grace works. It gives people a false security, a false sense of salvation, a false sense of hope. In Titus 2.11, he says this, For the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's appeared. Doesn't mean all men have received it, but it has appeared to all of them. Here's what it does. It, that is, the remarkable and undeserved, unmerited favor of God, the unmerited, undeserved grace of God, here's what it does. Verse 12, Titus 2, 12. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives, lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity and in this present age. Verse 13. Awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of our blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. 
who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us and purchase our freedom from all wickedness and to purify for himself a chosen and very special people to be his own possession who are enthusiastic for doing what is good, the Amplified Bible. So here we go. This grace is actually telling us to take up our cross. It's telling us to deny ourselves. It's telling us to, to reject ungodliness. It's telling us to turn away from worldly desires. It's telling us to live sensibly and to live upright and to live godly lives now, right now in this present age. This grace of God is not covering up sin. This grace of God is not excusing sin. This grace of God is not allowing sin to go on. It's telling us to stop sinning. That's why it saves us. There's what the grace of God looks like. And this grace, don't be offended here, but it's not the Baptist grace. It's not the Catholic grace or it's not the Pentecostal grace. But this grace is the grace of God that instructs us not to sin but to deny ourselves of everything that is not pleasing to God. This is how grace saves us, by turning us away from the very things that will destroy us, which are sin, false religion, false hope, things that we believed and trusted in, but they're really not of God, and everything that's the ways of the world. This grace tells us to turn away from all of that and to turn towards the Lord with all of our hearts. So... Back to that sinner's prayer again. Because of the sinner's prayer and this modern hyper-grace, when you put the two of them together, they give people in the church today a license to sin. So now we have an American church that's full of sin because of these practicing sinners. So the church is full of sin because it's full of practicing sinners. And these practicing sinners think they're saved because they've been falsely converted. They've been falsely converted because of two things here that I've already mentioned. The sinner's prayer, which was false to start with, and the false grace, which tells them they can just live however they choose. They can, you know, they can go on like they were. Now they just somehow had to accept Jesus in their heart. They had to somehow give mental acceptance of Christ. Somehow they had to, they had to, had to somehow believe in Jesus in their minds or whatever, but they didn't really have to change. They didn't have to be transformed. They didn't have to give anything up. They didn't have to be persecuted. They didn't have to take up the cross. They didn't have to, they didn't have to deny themselves of anything. Just come to church now and you'll be okay. What's really sad is that practically no one seems to even notice this. Certainly not our pastors. Where are the shepherds at? We're the men of God. We're the ones that are so supposed to be spirit filled that are addressing this in the church today. Where are they at? You know, it's sad enough that, they, that no one's even noticed it. And as a result, this is even sadder. That multitudes of people are on the way to hell and don't even know it. Our shepherds are not telling them. Our shepherds are talking and speaking blessings to them. Our shepherds are giving them warm fuzzies. Our shepherds are tickling their ears. Our shepherds are telling them that they're all right. Our shepherds are telling them that they're saved and going to heaven. Our shepherds are lying to them. This is the state of the church today. Okay, I've identified two reasons the church is full of sin. One is because most people are not born again. The other is because, and they're not born again because of the sinner's prayer, which is a false method of salvation. And then add to that the hyper grace that people have trusted in. So, the sinner's prayer and the hyper grace have caused people to not be born again and to not be saved. And 
as a result, they're practicing sin. So there's, there's good reason why the church is full of sin. But here's another reason I want to bring up. Another reason the church is full of sin is because of the many traditions practiced today by the modern American church. I've seen them. I've been to and in the Southern Baptist Church. I have been in the Pentecostal churches. I have been, I've been to and seen Catholic churches and Presbyterian churches and Lutheran churches. And I've been in charismatic churches. And I've been in non-denominational churches independent, and also independent Baptist churches. I've even been in and seen what goes on in the Church of Christ and also the Church of God and a number of others. I've seen a lot of things. I've looked and searched for God in a lot of places. And you know what? I've seen over and over all these different traditions. The traditions do vary a lot. I have to say there's a lot of difference what goes on in a Pentecostal church versus a Baptist church. I will acknowledge that. Or the Church of Christ versus the Church of God or whatever. You know, there's, there's certainly big differences of the traditions. Even though they vary a lot, all of these traditions do have one thing in common that I've noticed. All of these traditions of various ceremonies and rituals and the various kinds of worship and the different kinds of music and special singings and, and the different kinds of entertainment that the church provides and the different ways they do communion and the tithing and the giving of gifts and serving in different ways and the special plays that they put on and the special singing and the candles in some churches and the there's just this religious atmosphere that sort of grabs you by the by the spiritual neck, so to speak, when you go in. And then there's all the different denominational teachings of what we believe that people kind of hold on to, the denominational doctrines. And then you see the steeples on the building and the stained glass windows. And some of the preachers wear robes and some of them don't. Some of them have nice suits and some are wearing blue jeans. All of this, though, in its own way, whatever the tradition that people get used to is this. Here's the effect. It makes them feel close to God. And they somehow feel they have served and worshipped God because they have been to church. I know a man in the business world right now who speaks well of his church, who invites people to his church, who talks about his church, but is involved in various fornication relationships. He's in sin. But he thinks he's okay because he goes to church. This is a common thing. I've seen it happen countless times in my years. So these traditions and religious atmospheres that people come into on Sunday or Saturday, whatever, they have an emotional effect of causing a person to believe that God is with them because they have attended church. This effect is very misleading, and it causes people to believe that they have God, when in fact they, they will only have God when and if they're truly born again, and then, and as a result, being transformed into a new creation, and then they can identify with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But just attending church does not make anyone a Christian. And to add deception to deception, and I've seen this too many times, I've been to numerous funerals, when anyone dies in the church of America today, even if it's just a relative of somebody in the church, this is how bad it's gotten. The pastor... Well, virtually always, the pastor who presides over the funeral will virtually always preach the false convert to heaven or even the worldly person that wasn't even in the church, often referring to the time that he prayed the sinner's prayer when he was five years old or, or in some cases how faithful they attended the church on a regular basis or, or maybe in some cases how generous they were in their giving to, you know, and he uses all this as some kind of evidence that they were truly saved and born again, and now they're going to heaven, 
when in fact none of these things have anything to do with salvation. Nothing. And our pastors are promoting this concept at the funerals, and you can only imagine everyone at the funeral who hears this pastor confidently speaking uh, how this person is going to be in, in heaven with Jesus today, how this deceased person is now with Jesus in paradise. So everyone who hears this say it, being said by the, quote, pastor, you know, it makes them feel like, well, that makes them feel relieved. Well, you know, since they knew how this person really was or how this person really lived. And then they say to themselves, well, if he's going to heaven, then I'll be good. I'll be fine. So the deception goes on, the deception of the deception of the deception. That's why I, then I wrote the book. And I titled it, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ. I go into a lot more detail about all these things and the traditions of men and the false grace in great detail. If you're interested, you can get the book on Amazon or you can get it on my website at www.christianmyths.org. You know, that's up to you. I'm not trying to sell anything. I spend a lot more than I'm going to get out of it. It's because I want to get the word out. I am very distressed and concerned about the state of the church today. So if you read the book, maybe it'll help you. I hope you do. But I want to go on and say this. Another reason that the church is full of sin and sinners is this. There, there are some of those who are really born again who started out with every good intention of serving God. I, I know that there were people who started out very sincere. I, I, I've known some of them. And they did repent of their sins. And that was good. And they had a good start. And they were good with God at that time. But what happened was they started going to church. And the teaching of the false grace and the teaching of the unconditional eternal security and the teachings with the traditions of men, all of these things over time dumbed them down and took away their zeal and their enthusiasm. And maybe, they, maybe these people never even went back to a really uh, sinful lifestyle. Maybe they used to do drugs, drink, immorality or whatever. But they didn't go back to that. But they just settled down in church, just settled down sat down, just parked it right there, and became lukewarm. Oh, the lukewarm. The dangers of being lukewarm. You so they even may see some things that they know is not right with the church, or they may even see some things about its doctrines that are questionable, or even some of the conduct of the pastor that's not really right, but they don't really want to cause any trouble, so they just settle down with it. They just settle with it all and become passive. By being passive, then they have become lukewarm. And these are oftentimes very nice people who are morally good, kind people. But these nice and reasonably good lukewarm people are in real danger of losing their souls. Let me tell you what, let me read to you what Jesus said in Revelation about this. Revelation 3.14. The angel that is the divine messenger of the church to Laodicea write, he says, these are the words of the amen, the trusted and faithful and true witness, the beginning and the origin of God's creation. He says, the Lord says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold, that is invigorating and refreshing, nor hot, that is healing and therapeutic. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, that is spiritually useless, and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth, rejecting you with disgust. That's from the Amplified. Wow. You see, there goes a lot of nice people right there. There goes a lot of nice, moral, good, so-called good people 
who are sitting there in church every week, singing the same old songs, doing the same old thing, but they're really not out doing any really bad stuff like some of the people in the church are. They're just lukewarm. They're just cruising. They're just comfortable. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to raise any controversies. They don't want to cause any trouble. So they're just sitting there accepting, you know, what's going on and being okay with it. I will tell you this, just being nice will not get you to heaven. You must be totally sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. You must become a new creation. You must be transformed into a brand new person. You must take up your cross and give up your life. You must seek God and his will and obey him all the days of your life. You must endure persecution and endure rejection of your family and friends. You must overcome sin and the ways of the world in your own life. And you must endure to the end to be saved. All this is very scriptural. Don't trust in the church world or your pastor or even your sinner's prayer and certainly not in your religious traditions in order to be saved. Don't trust in any of that. You must trust in Jesus only by seeking him, by giving up your life to him, by obeying him, by having an intimate, sincere, passionate, wholehearted, devoted, and loving relationship with him. You cannot make yourself be born again, but you can turn to him and repent of your sins, and you can put your trust in him, and you... And you cannot trust in your false religion and your false gospel to give you life. You cannot do that. But you must totally trust in Him. If and when you do this without reservation, that is, give yourself totally to Him, rely totally upon Him, don't trust in anything but Him, then He will cause you to be born again. That's how it happens. It's, done, it's a spiritual miracle. It is done by His Spirit. It's not done by the will of man. It's done by the hand of God. And He can only and will only cause one to be born again when they have totally given themselves to God. Okay, next week I will continue with more reasons why the church is full of sin and full of sinners who have been falsely converted. Next week I will expose, this is going to get kind of, kind of interesting next week, expose how the pastors of our day have greatly contributed to, this, contributed to this terrible state of the modern American church. You might be in prayer so that you'll be able to receive what I'm going to tell you next week because it may be hard to swallow. Because I have to talk about the pastors. I just can't get around this. The pastors of this generation and what they have done, how they have contributed to the downfall of the church, how they have corrupted the church. I hope you join me next week and subscribe and subscribe to all these podcasts. These podcasts are I plan on them being a long series of what is wrong with the American church today as well as what the solution can be. The solution starts with you and me. Are you willing to stand up and confront what is wrong? If you're not, then I'd ask you this, why not? You know the scripture says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And if you gain the Holy Spirit, you will have all the power you need to take a stand. May everyone seek God while there's still time. May you not be one of the many who have a form of godliness, but have no power. Hope to see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.com. 
www.thelordsbrook.org for more information, for my blog, and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.